Scripture reading comes to us this morning from Malachi chapter 3. It's at the very end of the Old Testament. For those of you whose Bible is numbered the same as mine, it's on page 802. Malachi, beginning in chapter 3, verse 13. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping His charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before Him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed His name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve Him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear My name, The sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. You shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. O Lord our God, thank you for... Uh, bringing your word to us once again this morning. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your spirit would say to your church this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know if you're like me, but uh, I'm still a little uh, stunned that Thanksgiving is upon us already. This week it has crept up on me and... uh, That means Christmas is just around the corner. It's a little over a month away. It's Christmas. And I don't know about how things go in your household, but for me personally, I can't even begin to think about Christmas until after Thanksgiving. I mean, we don't put our tree up until Thanksgiving, right? Some people already have it up. I can't quite get my mind there because Thanksgiving for me has always kind of wrapped things up. On the year. And now, as the season of Advent is going to start next Sunday, we begin to anticipate once again the coming of the Christ child, the Messiah who had been promised to come, and we get to celebrate that birth at Christmas. Well, it's fitting that today, on what is called the Sunday of Fulfillment, the last Sunday in the church calendar year, when we look back upon all that the Lord has done 
And we remember His faithful promises. The promises that He made and the promises that He kept. And when we faithfully look forward to Christ's final return in all His glory. It's fitting that we come to this passage here at the very end of the Old Testament as we wrap up this church calendar year. Well, at the time of Malachi, uh, certainly the Jews had already returned from exile and they had returned with high hopes. They had been inspired by the Old Testament prophets uh, Haggai and Zechariah and they had rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem. And while this temple that they had rebuilt did not quite have the glory of the, the previous temple, the temple of Solomon, the original one, which had been destroyed by the Babylonians when they came and overran Jerusalem and took God's people away into captivity. Here, they had rebuilt it. And here, it served the purpose again of allowing the people of God to draw near to Him in worship. But as the years passed in Jerusalem, the Jews became disillusioned. The prosperity or the promise of it never came to fruition. Life was hard. They were surrounded by enemies on all sides. They suffered from drought and famine. And they began to doubt the love of God and even question His justice and His faithfulness. So the prophet Malachi comes to speak to a disillusioned, discouraged, and doubting people whose experience in life did not harmonize with their understanding of the glorious promises found in the earlier prophets. Their vision of the coming messianic age never materialized. And so they became disillusioned with God and some even abandoned their faith. The prophet Malachi's word confronts a people in denial of the promises of God and whose indifference in their commitment to live out their lives in light of those promises and even to worship and serve the Lord with all their hearts was evident for all to see. Here at the end of the Old Testament, it seems as if the people of God had forgotten all that had happened since the beginning. They no longer believed it. They no longer had hope in the promises of their covenant God. And so the Lord God here in these verses that I just read a moment ago, He comes and He brings suit against His people. He levels charges against them in this uh, book of Malachi. And each accusation brought against His people is met with cynical questioning of the charges that he would bring. Like we read, the people said, How have we spoken against you? And every time they answer God's charges with that cynicism, that skepticism, that blame shifting, and making excuses for why they can grumble and complain and doubt and despair, God overrules their objections. This is courtroom language that God is using here in Malachi. 
And it tells us that talking among themselves, they drew a conclusion. They concluded that there is no profit for them to serve God or to even mourn over their sin because arrogant evildoers prosper and even put God to the test and get away with it. Their conclusion, God doesn't care and He does nothing for His people. How sad it is when God's people let themselves be ruled by their circumstances and set up their ways as higher than God's ways. When they suppress the truth and they believe a lie once again. Oh, they may keep coming to worship services, but their lives speak volumes about what they really believe. It's a joyless, hopeless, Bitter existence that leaves the heart more and more hardened toward God. That's what's going on here at the end of the Old Testament. Now if we were to look at the beginning and all the way through the book of Malachi, we would hear the voices of those who are sliding back down into moral and spiritual rebellion against God. For example, in chapter 1, verse 13, speaking about divine worship, the people said, What a weariness this is. And they derided it. In chapter 2, verse 17, with voices filled with cynicism and unbelief, they ask, where is the God of justice? And here in chapter 3, in verse 15, is really the climactic expression of their spiritual rebellion, where they say, it is vain to serve God. What's the profit of of our keeping His ways or His commandments or as walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? What good has it done us, they say? Well, in stark contrast to these responses of cynicism and doubt and disbelief and disillusionment, there are those who still fear the Lord who give a different testimony. Verse 16 tells us, the godly feared the Lord and their conversation with one another was marked by a radically different character altogether. Notice carefully the word which begins, verse 16, then. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. It was was then, then against the backdrop, in response to the wickedness and sinful speech of the unbelievers, that the remnant of the faithful people of God began to speak with one another. They turned to spiritual counsel, to godly fellowship. They do fear the Lord. They esteem His name. And that's to say they cherish Him in His very person and who He is. They cherish His glory. They cling to His grace. That's the kind of thing that marked their speech with one another. And how did you notice God responds to His faithful people as they fellowship and talk with one another? The Lord, we are told, paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him. Now that, that's an amazing thought. First of all, that the Lord pays attention when people speak to him. When we pray to him, he hears us. 
We know that intellectually, but stop and think about it. That's amazing that the Lord God of the universe would hear us when we pray to Him and answer us when we call. But it's not just that. What's stunning when you think about it is that He would hear us when we talk to each other. He hears us and pays attention when we talk about Him to one another. When we encourage each other, when we exhort one another, when we open the scriptures together and speak about spiritual things to one another. The Lord takes note of it and he writes it in his book of remembrance. That's stunning. We live in a time when the world views words as cheap. They're thrown around all over the place in social media. Even the mainstream media gets on and throws words around and accusations around so freely. And they're quick to just shift gears and say something the opposite the next day. Just think about uh, the lifespan of an average tweet on Twitter. Maybe it lasts a day. Maybe two days at the most. And then it's gone and the next tweet is coming. It's this, this endless stream of empty thought almost that is thrown around. And so the world views words as cheap. But here God reminds us that our speech is not weightless, but our words have gravity. Our words are not insignificant because they're not forgotten. He pays attention, Malachi says. And he writes them in his book of remembrance. Christian fellowship is one of the great marks that characterize a child of God in distinction from the people in this world who have no regard for him. We love to talk about sacred things and we love to be with those who who cherish sacred things. But I wonder this morning, what marks your speech? Those of you who profess to follow Jesus Christ. What is the summary of the words you have spoken this last week? Do your words comprise mainly of criticism and condemnation, grumbling and complaining? Or do you delight to name the name of Jesus? It's a great evidence of authentic Christianity that there is no person we love to honor more or to proclaim more than our God. No theme we more enjoy exploring than the very glory and grace and goodness of our Heavenly Father. Have those words crept into your conversations this week? It's not that we have to always be talking about Jesus in every conversation. But in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our facing even horrors and evil of those evildoers around us, does the concept of a gracious God impact the things that we think in the midst of those circumstances? Does our heart long to find refuge in Him and Him alone? Or do all we do is criticize and condemn? And grumble and complain. That's worth thinking about today. Well the Lord heard and and paid attention to them. 
Previously, his countenance had been turned away from those who he would describe as self-righteous, those who denied his goodness. His face had been turned away from them. But now the Lord is paying attention to his people and he hears them and he says, they shall be mine on that day when I make up my treasured possession." Do you have any treasured possessions? I have a few. One in particular, uh, I treasure. My wife does not treasure so much. We have lugged it around for, for decades now as we have moved to one place or another. One of my most treasured possessions is a saddle, an old worn out saddle that my grandfather had given to me a long time ago when I was a teenager, when I used to spend my summers at his ranch up in northeastern New Mexico, herding cattle. And this saddle used to be his when he was a teenager. And he handed it down to me, and I will not let it go. <laughs> now, it, it doesn't sit on a mantelpiece or in our living room. <laughs> I mean, it's old, and it's scarred up, and it's stained, and it's worn out, and the, and the sheepskin underneath is starting to decay and just fall apart. It's so old. You know, I, I don't know my... My wife may bury me with it one day just to get it out of the house. I don't know. But it's my treasured possession. Because when I was first given this saddle, it was a time when I did not know the Lord. It was before I became a Christian. I wasn't raised in a Christian household. But my grandfather would spend those summers with me. We would, we would do a lot of different kind of work together. Sometimes in silence, but, but a lot of times sitting in the saddle. Herding cattle, riding together. And this saddle is an Ebenezer of sorts that reminds me of a lot of things. There's a lot of memories in this saddle. My character was shaped by my time spent in this saddle. There are stains of blood, sweat, and tears in this saddle I can still see today. There are, there are literal scars in the leather that... that Instantly take me back to the time when, when they got there. My character was shaped by it. It's a, it's a thing of remembrance for me. To remember back to the time when I did not know God, but God knew me. And was blessing me when I didn't even realize it. It reminds me of God's faithfulness to me, even before I knew Him. And yet God knew me. And he says to us, like he said to me at one point in my life, I will spare them like a father who loves his child. At all costs, a father will die to save his child. And God the Father has sent his only son to save us. And so here in Malachi we see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. And those who do not are not going to be spared. Like a burning oven, it will be for the evil doers and arrogant. But for those who fear His name, there will be healing and joy and victory. You know, after the book of Malachi... There would come 400 years of silence from God. 
between God and His people. There would be no more prophets bringing the word of the Lord to them. No fulfillment of the promises would be realized until the virgin was with child, as God had foretold. And the angels would declare the glory of the Lord revealed in human flesh. And the new Elijah, the voice of one crying in the desert, would be heard when John the Baptist would declare, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as Jesus came upon him at the river Jordan. And so there is a a successive building fulfillment of God's promises. Those He fulfilled long ago in the past. Those that He is still fulfilling now. And those that we have yet to look forward to. One day when Christ comes again in glory. When the Son of Righteousness shall rise. Jesus, the light of the world, who has already come and brought healing and restoration and life to us. Have you seen His glory? The glory of the one and only. As John chapter 1 puts it, He came to that which was His own, but His own did not receive Him. Yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Oh, what manner of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. For that is what we are, the Apostle John tells us in his epistle. On that day when I act, God says, he's going to act. We may despair that nothing changes, that things just seem to be getting worse, that our prayers feel like they're unheard, but God promises he will act. And he will act on behalf of his people. Do you know what God has already done? What did we read earlier in Romans chapter 8? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? There is no one who can bring a charge against God's people. God has answered it through his son. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do you know what He's already done? That's what He's already done. And do you know what He's doing? He's ongoingly perfecting the saints. He's sanctifying His people. He's making us more and more holy, more and more able to worship Him in holiness and and spirit and truth. So when the world looks at us, His people, what does it see? Well, when the Lord looks at us, I mean, when the, when the world looks at us, it ought to see a place, according to Malachi, where those who fear the Lord actually speak to one another in love and in truth. 
It ought to be a place where the world sees us cherishing His name, encouraging one another in personal, joyful fellowship. The people of God, the church, ought to be a place where faithfulness to the Word of God and the commands of Christ is the norm, not the exception. Where we love Christ because He first loved us and we show it by how we live, by keeping His commandments. And this place should look like a place where the hearts of the fathers are turned back toward their children and the hearts of the children are turned back toward their fathers. And dare I say it, that the hearts of husbands are turned back toward their wives and the hearts of wives are turned back toward their husbands. A place of radical reconciliation. That's what the people of God should be like. It's that kind of place, that kind of church that you know God will use to actually bring reconciliation about. Not simply on a horizontal level between people, but between unbelieving hearts and their maker and their God. And cause the same grace that we have become the recipients of to explode into the hearts and lives of others who do not yet know Him. That's what the church ought to be. Well, God has written His own book of remembrance. The Scriptures. And He has given it to us as a treasured possession. Something that we can hold on to. We can, we can go to time and again. And, and as we so need to be reminded of the goodness of God, we can read it and reread it and highlight it and underline it and never forget it, this book. Of remembrance, these things that God has already done and promised. People of God treasure this Bible, this scripture, this word from the Lord that He has given to you from cover to cover. Let it shape your character as you dwell in it, as you sit in it, like I used to sit in that saddle. Day after day, hour after hour, sometimes dreading getting back in it. I was so tired. But, but let it shape you and your character. And may the love of God you find in it permeate your soul. First John tells us that these things, all these things in God's word are written to all who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. The scriptures are full of a whole host of witnesses to the faithfulness of God. Those witnesses that have gone before us and their testimony is clear. It's a living testimony of how in the midst of everything that we could think of or imagine has already happened. There's nothing new under the sun. It takes on a little different look, but, but it's not new. And the people of God have struggled since the very beginning. But there is a faithful testimony written here so i ask you in conclusion what is your living testimony remember what god has done for you what he is doing for you and what he promises will be yours in christ jesus and and this thursday on thanksgiving do just a little bit more than say a quick prayer before you feast at the smorgasbord of thanksgiving dinner Commit yourselves to once again testify with your life. 
with the things you do and the words you say to others that would manifest the reality that you serve the living God. That you remember Him in the midst of every circumstance so that you too will be prepared to leap with joy at the coming of the King. Let's pray. O Lord our God, I thank You that You hear us and that You meet us in this place, that You do not turn away from us. Lord, thank You for paying attention. Lord, help us to hear Your Word and that it would uh, encourage our hearts and, and that it would lead us back into Your presence. Give us the hope and the peace that we need in any and all circumstances. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us in Jesus, for we pray it in his name. Amen.